0: and welcome to Land parties episode 68 from the las vegas review journal i am your host ryan smith and with me as always my co-host lucas egg and lucas i already know how your weekend was But please, tell
1: us. (laughs) Yep, My weekend was awesome and full of Pokemon Snap. Shout out to my girlfriend who actually got me the game. She knew how excited I was. And so we were pumped. On a side note, we finally watched the Mortal Kombat movie, which was good fun. I mean, let's just say it's not an Oscar winner, but I still thought it was some pretty stupid fun. So I enjoyed it. How was your weekend, Ryan?
0: It was good. Uh, same. I got a, uh, the and, and we had talked about this uh, a while ago, but Returnal being that first PS5 exclusive, it is out. It came out Thursday night. I can't even lie dude. Like, I don't even like games like that. And I am just sucked in. I am addicted. I have died a ton. I have not even gotten that far. It's really good. We're going to talk about it here Uh, In a few minutes, though, so I I, I won't I won't spoil it right now. But other than that, we did some moving around the house and and, you know, it was basically it was a pretty chill weekend. I I took some days off, too. uh, So I had an extended weekend. So it was nice to just chill and and relax a little bit. So it, it was good.
1: Good. Hey, days off are definitely great. And we're already halfway through the year almost. And I just came to the realization I haven't taken any days off. So I got to get on (laughs) scheduling something here pretty soon. But enough about us. We are joined today by a very special guest that I've been extremely excited for to welcome to the show you know him from his wonderful work covering the gaming industry for bloomberg news and the author of press reset ruin and recovery in the video game industry which is due out may 11th just around the corner jason schreier is joining us jason how are you my friend hey lucas and ryan it is great to be here thank you so much for having me we are super pumped to welcome you. And we can't wait to get into the book and a little bit about your career here in just a little bit. But let's start with the Returnal. And Ryan, I know that that this, like you just said, usually isn't your cup of tea. What stood out to you about this game in particular?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a roguelike and, and it's, it's funny because, like I was saying, we were talking about this beforehand. I'm not into like the dark souls and stuff like that. Those games for me, I literally play like an hour of one of those games. I was like, nope, never again. I'll never play a game like this again. This is terrible. Um, and obviously it's cause I'm a weenie and I, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I, I don't have that patience. However, something about this game, the graphics with, it, I actually streamed it here, uh, last week. But the graphics, the sound design of it, the play of it, the feel of it, and again, I keep going back to this. I never thought that getting into this PS5, uh, getting into this iteration of it, I would be talking so much about the controller. But seriously, the, the controller, the haptic feel of it is Absolutely amazing and only enhances games. Um, I, I I love this game. I, I'm going to continue grinding it. I continue to grind it, and it it is just it's good. It's challenging. It's a good challenge. Um, I think there's some things I wish that there was like little checkpoints that you could have because like if you die, you go back to the beginning. Uh However, it doesn't necessarily reset your progress. But you have to start in that very beginning area, uh, at least as far as I've gotten. I've only gotten to the uh, second area. I beat the first world boss and I got to the second world boss and and I got, got pretty quickly. <laughs> what I do love about it, though, is the fact that every cycle that you go through, you're able to take something away from the last one and then expand on it on, on your next cycle. And be like, you know, what? I need more uh help so I'm gonna go ahead and, and farm a little bit to to get my integrity up, so I have more health. Or maybe I want to build a a wep- weapon out and upgrade my weapon a little bit, or look for particular mods that are gonna help me in the long run. Um, this I I didn't expect this. I just did not expect. You know, I was like I, I was getting this game regardless, just because it was that first PS5 exclusive. I wanted that true PS5 experience. Again, I'm kind of kicking myself that i didn't that i didn't get the uh, uh the 3d audio headset Can i hear that's absolutely amazing with this game as well um but yeah th- this for me is a if you're into roguelike games if you're into challenging games like a dark souls or something like that this is a game that you're really gonna enjoy
1: jason is this up your alley at all
2: yeah, I've been playing it. I'm into it so far. I had a really frustrating experience uh, over the weekend, to Ryan's point, about the lack of saves or checkpoints in, in that my game actually crashed in the middle of a run, and oh, suddenly yeah. I just lost all my progress from that run, because the game doesn't have yeah. any way to like save on exit, which a lot of other roguelikes do, and that's a little bit frustrating. I'm, I'm sure it's something that the developers at Mark will add in in the future, but at least for now, it's a little frustrating. But I, I am really digging the game. Um, it's got a nice amount of challenge um and the the controls are, are very are very good it feels very good to play not very far yet i haven't even beaten the first boss yet so i'm uh, kind of reserving judgment until i get a little further but uh but yeah enjoying it a lot so far
0: yeah it's it's this is a it, it is a good one man and it's it's so had yeah, a challenge man like i i just like typically like i don't i don't play games like these just because it's like look man i'm i i want to when i play a game i want to be able to decompress games like these fill me with rage (laughs) because like you'll get so far and all of a sudden dead gone back to the beginning you lost everything that you did try again sucker and it's just like ah i guess i'm just gonna put this up (laughs) But this, (laughs) this game i just find myself you know and and even like i like it too because like you can go and and you can play it. You could just pick it up, start playing or whatever. And and what's nice is that you can let it be suspended, so it could just be it. You know, if you got other things to do, go handle other things. Maybe you just need to take a, a mental break or whatever. Um, you can do that stuff and then come back and pick up exactly where you left off. I felt like there's, you know, at least for now and what I've seen, again, it's been very limited. uh, Gun selection, there's a nice little bit of uh, gun selection and stuff like that. But really the the fluidity of the game, the movements, uh, the jumps and stuff like that, to me, again, it's just really like this is exactly what I wanted for something, I guess, that really kind of shows off a lot of what the what the PlayStation Five can do, and in an environment like this, this is a um, it's procedurally generated, so every cycle, every run is a little different than the last run. Um, yeah, I I, I can see myself. Uh, playing this playing this for quite we'll we'll see if I can beat it we'll see if I have the patience to beat it I I I feel like I am going to though I mean I I I will we'll see how long it is but yeah if you if you have a PlayStation 5 I highly recommend uh and and this is your style of game I really feel like it does a good job of showcasing um what the PS5 is about and in you know what all they're doing both sound wise, game wise, and everything like that. You can see my frustration right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, can you get to this point? You will get so far and then dead. Start over. You're just like no. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 having a ton of fun uh, playing this, and and I will continue to do so. But you, however, you got on, you got on, you got, you know. You got, you got your Pokemon Snap. I know you've been talking about that game for quite some time. Please l- lay it on us. How's the experience been so far? Is it bringing you back to all them feels?
1: It is. <laughs> it is. The nostalgia is real with that game. Look, I mean, if you want to talk about, like, the exact opposite end of the spectrum to, <laughs> to what we were just talking about, <laughs> Pokemon Snap, though, is so much fun. It's relaxing. It's addicting. You know, it, it's, its vibe is kind of similar, I, I guess, to, to, to like, what, Animal Crossing did for a lot of people last year. I'm having like a uh, just a relaxing experience with this game, and look, if you don't like this game or if you don't get this game, <laughs> don't try it. It won't change your mind. But oh my goodness, like seeing the photos that people have taken online, and like just trying to figure out and going through different courses multiple times, try and get Pokemon to act a little bit differently, get that right angle. It's so much fun and being a a past photographer in a past life here, I think it adds a little bit to the fun and um, I, I just love it. I just love it. Like I've made everybody who knows me knows how excited I am for any Pokemon game that comes out, especially this year with its anniversary. If you're a Pokemon fan, if you love Pokemon Snap from way back when pick this game up like today, today, go pick it up. It's so much fun. It's so good.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I think you I I think you were speaking to me because I watched some people play this and I was like, this looks boring. <laughs> 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 this is not and it is funny, too, because, uh, you know, I, I I'm a photographer as well. And. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm not a big fan of taking photos in photo mode. I think there's gorgeous <laughs> photos that you can do, but I'm not a big fan of doing it in video games. So I was just like, when I, I was watching people play this and whatnot, I was like, so this game is just <clears> taking <throat> like, is there you do anything else other than no, you throw apples at the uh, at, at the Pokemon, they they do something crazy and you try to get a good picture, and I'm like, mm, okay then, yeah, but. However, however, I I do see, you know, and I, I love that correlation, uh, that you brought in with animal, uh, animal crossing and this, that nice, something chill, relaxed, serene. You don't have to put a ton of thought into, it's just kind of vibing and doing it. If that's your thing, then absolutely. This would be a game for you. And of course, those that play this or had this for the N64, I can only imagine, you know what I mean? Uh, having that having an updated or a new version of this because this is a second iteration this is not a remake of uh the the 64 game correct correct
1: yeah new pokemon they have some of the new pokemon generations and and all that good stuff Jason, settle this tie for us. Then are you yay or nay on <laughs> Pokemon Snap? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I played it for like a second and got really
2: bored. So I guess I'm <laughs> Ryan, really but but I'm also not a Pokemon person in the first place. So I'm not the best person to judge to judge the Pokemon games. I've, I haven't been into Pokemon since since like Red and Blue when I was a kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on that. Sorry. Go ahead, Lucas. Oh, no. I,
1: th- I think it, okay, I think it's fair to say if you're not a Pokemon fan, maybe don't <laughs> buy this game today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just realize what you're getting yourself into and do a little bit of research if you are thinking about picking up the game. Because, I mean, it very is much what it is. You know what I mean? And it is something that either you're going to enjoy it, especially if you are a Pokemon fan. And that's something that you've kept up on and you, you know, you play the games, you watch the shows, all that stuff. Excuse me. This is definitely going to be, I guess, something that would be a little closer to your wheelhouse. But I feel like it's a very niche group of people uh, that that would enjoy this and you have to enjoy pokemon i feel in order to otherwise i'm you know for me like and i don't know much about pokemon you know I, I'm, I'm taking a bunch of pictures of random things that can you know do things and if i throw an apple at it it may may do some action and then i get a picture of it i i don't know like this is not my bag man <laughs> no i i will say this as as a former
1: wii u order that was always filled with like anger and resentment toward not getting any more games on that system. <laughs> Where was this game on the Wii U? Like, if there was ever a system that was made for this game, it was the Wii U. So what What were they doing? Anyway. <laughs>
2: true. They were true. busy trying to get away from the Wii U. That's like, true. Year after that <laughs> <thing
0: launched.
1: laughs>
0: It's crazy, because I never owned a Wii U, but I heard, because like, I, I remember, didn't uh, was was it Double Dash? No, that was GameCube. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what was on the Wii U. Oh, the last, the Mario Kart that's on Switch was on Wii U, yes, right? it was. I think, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of Switch games That's how games I equate my Nintendo things, is which Mario Kart was on it. Um, <laughs> I, I am, I, and just very quickly, I do want to say, uh, Nintendo did bring online play to Mario Party last week. Uh, number one, why? why was that not, like, a launch thing? And why arbitrarily just drop it? I mean, the Nintendo did what Nintendo did. They do what they do what they want, um, <laughs> you know. But mm-hmm. I was just like, dude, I've been waiting for online play. I think we're gonna be playing uh, uh, this week at some point in time. But I feel, and I love the Mario Parties. Like to be able to now go online and flex on people in a board game style. Uh, I'm very excited for so. <laughs> Good on them. It, it, it was a little late, but I'm glad they brought that like true. And it, I'm sorry. And there was online play before it was just the mini games. You're now able to play the actual board game, uh, both with a co-op with somebody else in your house online with other people, which I think it, it, it's so much fun, dude. I am very excited for that and to start playing that.
2: What happened was Nintendo was like, okay, we're getting out of the pandemic. People are getting vaccinated. Now is the time to release an online game.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so crazy, too, because, like, you know, they, I mean, they have their online service, and I feel like they're only really now starting to dive a little deeper into making more things online play and stuff like that. I don't know if they maybe had netcode issues or they've been trying to work that stuff out. Um, but I would like to see more titles where you have that ability to do, and I guess I mean they they've had it and stuff like that. But I, for me, again, I I feel like it shouldn't just be an afterthought in games for them moving forward. Uh, you know, and I know they realize that a lot of people play online and stuff like that. But again, too, I think that Nintendo very much is that kind of kid friendly. Console, so I do kind of like that. There's not an easy way to get into a chat with people or hear other people because, as you guys know, if you played online, the toxicity is real and there it it is crazy. So you know, I know that you know my daughter plays a lot of games on uh, Nintendo, so I'd hate for her to go into a lobby and just get bombarded with all kinds of crazy stuff. So, I do kind of like that there is that bit of protection. And nowadays too, a lot of people have Discord or they have this or that. So, there's still a way to be able to connect with people on voice and play their multiplayer games. So, we'll see uh uh yeah, we'll we'll see. That that's interesting. I'm excited though for that online play for it. It's going to be awesome. I am going to I feel I feel very confident in my ability. Can we make an e-sport out of Mario Party? I'm about that life. <laughs> Yo. Let's take a let, you know, what, let's take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back, sit down with Jason, get into the nitty gritty. We'll be right back, guys.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to that short message. And now comes the real fun part of the episode. And Jason, let's start and and talk about Press Reset here. At what point after your first book, did you start to think about Press Reset? And what made now the right time to kind of tell this story?
2: Um, Okay, so yeah, so after I published Blood, Sweat, and Pixels in 2017, I decided I wanted to write another book and I had a couple of false leads. I was following one path for a while, thought I would write something about something um, and decided not to. And then it was towards like the end of 2018 that I eventually decided okay, I'm going to write a book about what happens to people when game studios shut down. Because I kept thinking like there are all these really interesting, wild stories about game companies closing not just companies closing because they like made a flop or something but in some cases uh, companies closing because even when they made a successful game like Irrational rational games releasing mm-hmm. Bioshock Infinite which is a success and shutting down a year mm-hmm. later or 38 Studios not even getting to release a game before it was suddenly shut down and so I decided okay I'm going to write a book that compiles some of these stories and looks at some of the common themes and problems and then tries to find some solutions to these problems and the result of that and talking to many many, many people and spending a lot of time reporting and researching and writing is press reset, which, yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I think it will really resonate with people um, and help kind of like show, show some of the problems that the games industry faces these days.
1: Yeah, I hundred percent agree that it's gonna resonate with people. It's it's a wonderfully researched and, and really well written book. I can I can attest to that. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Was was there something while you were kind of researching and writing it that surprised you? Like did you come in with uh, an assumption about any of it that changed once you got done with it? Um, Yeah.
2: I mean, there were a few things that surprised me. Like I knew that, um, so a lot of people know the 38 Studios story and what happened there where Mm -hmm. former baseball player Kurt Schilling started a game studio and it all imploded in glorious fashion. And a lot of people associate them with the game that actually did come out called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. But what a lot of people don't know um, is that Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning was actually made by another studio that 38 Studios purchased um, called Big Huge Games in Maryland. And they had their own mm-hmm. wild story that is like bonkers full of bonkers details i mean that comp- that that studio was like almost saved and then it was saved and then wasn't saved and the details are just just astounding so yeah that that was one thing that really surprised me and then just hearing other stories from people and hearing about all the all the wild stuff that they've gone through and like the amount of drama that you have to deal with if you're if you're joining the video game industry and just the fact that people have to like bounce between jobs all the time it's all just really sad and And uh, uh, depressing. But there's also a lot of optimism in the book. And I tried very much, like the questions that I asked were, okay, what happens to a person when their studio shuts down? What happened there? How did it shut down? How does it make that person feel? And then what does that person do next? And with those questions, the question of like what happens next, I was able to find some optimism and some some pretty good stories, I think. Uh, some stories with with not-so-sad endings, with, with happy endings, decent endings. And so all that is in the book as well.
0: And I know, too, I mean, you've been... You've gone in deep on a lot of investigative reporting on all kinds of, you know, Bethesda, Bungie, uh, this and that. What really drew you into to getting into this deeper dive with the gaming companies? Because I feel like there's a lot... You know, we... As consumers get a very surface level view of what's going on and the work that you're doing is so important to understand and see exactly what's going on behind the scenes. What really drove you to that and and to kind of get to those questions and stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, what happened was as I was kind of starting my career, I mean, I just kind of wound up talking to a lot of people and meeting a lot of people. And and one of the things that I love, one of the things that that I love most about reporting is just like having conversations with people and meeting new people and hearing their stories. And when you cover the games industry, and my career kind of started when I was a freelancer and then I was working for Wired as a contributing writer over there and then wound up at Kotaku for a while. And so, so over the course of all that time, I wound up just constantly meeting and interviewing new people and talking to them and having conversations with them. And oftentimes those conversations would lead me down rabbit holes where I would find some crazy story or hear about some wild thing that I I, I would try to report. And yeah, I mean, I think that that just kind of like the 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 deeper stories and long form pieces just kind of emerged naturally from that. I suppose um, I was very fortunate to have the resources and the time, and be given the time by by my coworkers and colleagues and editors, and my boss is Ekotaku. Uh, so I was able to do some of that some of that stuff. But really, it's the people just talking and being willing to share their stories, and especially for Press Reset, I'm just like so friggin' grateful to to everybody who took the time and, and was willing to share their story, their story with me for the book.
1: While you were d- conducting those interviews, did it take time to get some some of the people to kind of warm up and, and get them to be uh, in a place where they trusted you to, to share their stories enough and where they didn't think it would be warped or morphed or anything like that?
2: Um, yeah, in some cases. I mean, sometimes I'll just have multiple conversations with someone. I like mm-hmm. to meet people in and- in person, which I did. Fortunately, most of the reporting I did for this book was pre, pre-COVID. So I was able to do a lot of it in person. But yeah, no, it definitely takes time. It definitely takes time to just chat with people and, and hear their stories and follow their stories. Um, a lot of the stories in the book were kind of unfolding as as I was reporting them, which was cool. And so I could just keep checking back with them. It's always an interesting conversation. And this is something I still don't really know the answer to, but it's like, if you're, if you're talking to someone and they're willing to talk to you and they're willing to share their story with you for an article or for a book, how much of their time do you as the reporter really have the right to and like how many times can you keep calling them and keep texting them and and keep asking them questions and i I think that there's a balance and you have to kind of find that balance and you have to you have to figure out what what fits best but yeah but it was really cool to spend a lot of time with some of these folks um i flew out to austin a couple years back to um spend a bunch of time with Warren Spector, who's this legendary designer who's profiled in the first chapter of the book and we we spent some time together and then spent some time with uh with some of the other folks in this book. One of the things I really wanted to do with this book that I think that I'm really happy I was able to do that I think I did better than Bloodsword and Pixels is really just focus on a few really interesting people in the games industry and be like, these are their stories. Bloodsword and Pixels was more about the games. It was more like, here's how this game was made. And maybe we talked to a couple dozen people who all worked on that game. And so it's got quotes from all sorts of people, but you're not going to remember a lot of those names when you leave the book. With Press Reset, I really wanted it to be, okay, I want you to come away from this book, not just knowing like Warren Spector and Ken Levine and, and, and maybe some of the other famous people, but also I want you to come away knowing some people who you didn't know before, knowing like Zach Bumbach and uh, and, and um, Carrie Guskas and like some of the other people who I spotlight in this book who I think people will find really interesting. And I think their stories will resonate with uh, with readers.
1: You know, I find this interesting. Obviously, being a reporter, you're used to publishing your work, seeing it go out there and and seeing people talk about it, consume it, all that good stuff. How, How is it different though when, when it's a book, it's something that you've spent years on and you get to this point where it's about to kind of be released to the wild here? (laughs) <laughs> I ask people instead of writing
2: comments, I ask them to write no cards and mail them to me uh, since they can't <laughs> write code. So that's where they put all their death threats and their uh, <laughs> no, tell me, tell me uh, Jewish slurs and stuff. No, I, uh, I, it's interesting. I was just having this conversation with, uh, with someone on my team at, at our publisher, Grand Central Publishing. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm used, to, I'm so used to working on digital media where like I finish something and then it goes online within the next day or within the next week or like a couple weeks if it's going through editing or something like that, maybe a few months Mm -hmm. at most. But with Press Reset, with books, I finished most of Press Reset before the pandemic started so last last February last January February I actually added some stuff due to the pandemic and like wound up working on it through edits and whatnot for the past year but it was like pencils down completely done like really last like October November it was really completely done maybe I put in a couple extra notes like um, I think you guys get to read probably the galley version I've, I've done a couple of changes since that version but like significant changes really stopped last fall but I just have to wait and wait and wait and it's excruciating like I really want (laughs) to I really want to just be talking about it constantly because I'm so excited about it and so excited for people to read it but like uh I know nobody can yet. And so, yes, it's it, the wait is excruciating um, when you're used to the fast-paced world of like online publishing, having to wait for a book to come out to be in people's hands is, is excruciating. But uh, it also kind of like the, the the optimistic side of that. I try to be optimistic is, is uh, it makes it even more exciting when it comes out because it's like a once every few years thing. And that's really cool. It's like a really it feels really monumental and it just makes it even more exciting. Like when we finally get to May 11th, like this next week will be excruciating for me. But when we finally get to May 11th, I'll be like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Hopefully. Unless unless I get a ton of terrible reviews. and I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna go cry in my bed for a while.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me ask you, did did was I guess video games and and the journal, you know, was that always in the cards for you? Is that something that you saw and that you were working towards? Or was that like Hey, an opportunity came, or this is something that I enjoyed, and then you just kind of started, you know, going down that path, and then it just turned into something else.
2: Yeah. So um, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't always know I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I started, I discovered journalism, um, journalism in high school, where I was working on my high school paper, and then I got really into it, and then college, and so, so. I, I but i I wasn't really set on journalism 100 I've experimented in like other things and other forms of writing I knew no matter what I wanted to be a writer I just didn't know what that would look like and then after college I started doing some like freelance reporting didn't know what I was going to do it was just like okay I'm gonna get out there started doing like local journalism stuff got super super bored like sitting in the middle of like a local government meeting and they're arguing <laughs> about zoning board regulations and I'm just like oh my god shoot me now and then I decided to start looking into games games because it seemed like a more interesting thing to write about. And I thought it might be fun. And then just kind of from there fell into this as a career where it just became my main beat. And I I think as a journalist, it can be pretty helpful to your career, at least as a traditional journalist, to specialize in something. And for me, that happened to be games. And then from there, it turned into like, like, investigative games reporting. And yeah, it just really just kind of fell into it. But people ask me all the time, like, would you ever want to work on video games? Would, ever, would you ever want to enter the video game industry? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, I, I want to be a writer and a journalist. And if I weren't reporting on games, I would probably be reporting on something else or writing books about something else. So yeah, it just kind of fell into the games as a beat. But it also <laughs> happened to me that I grew up playing games and have loved games all my life. So it worked out nicely. It's not like I'm I'm just coming in being like, oh, what's this video game? What Fortnite? What's that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been fun. It's been kind of like a fun mixture of of interests for me.
1: What's been fun to see, too, uh, from the, the media side is kind of the evolution of games journalism. You know, where before, when, when I was younger, it, it was pretty much just the IGNs, the Kotakus of the world. But now you're seeing all the great work like Bloomberg's doing, like Launcher at the, at the Post and all that stuff. How have you seen games journalism evolve? And is there something that they still need to kind of improve on and get right in that games journalism space?
2: Um, yeah, I mean there's tons of stuff. Journalists are constantly like beating themselves up about what things they could do better, things they could be improving. I've been very heartened by how I've seen journalism evolve even in, in the few years that I've been doing it, but especially since before, I started, if you look at like j- games journalism in the 90s, it's like magazines that are essentially advertisements is all that existed and there was no real reporting on the industry, um, except when like, the New York Times would occasionally write something like, "Oh, what is this World of Warcraft thing? And then uh, you get into the 2000s and you have more of like the the kind of pirate ship like blogs and the uh, a little bit more of that that kind of swagger and snarkiness and, and um, interesting voice and tone. And like you could get to know personalities. And then and then we saw the rise of YouTube. And and I, I think something that has been heartening for me is just seeing like the increase of adversarial coverage and the decrease of like uh, PR sponsored coverage, like exclusive game reveals and like, um, big exclusive reviews and marketing hype and that sort of thing. I think we've seen that gone, gone way down. We've also seen more outlets willing to tackle some of the really tough issues in in gaming, um, Seeing people uh, be willing to really critically challenge a game like Six Days in Fallujah earlier this year was really mm-hmm. really interesting and cool to see. It's like cool to see stuff like that because I think that the that that ten years ago we wouldn't have seen that kind of coverage. We wouldn't see people going out and saying, "You know what? I'm gonna go speak to Arab game developers and see how they feel about this 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 game about the Iraq war um and that I think is really cool. Um, the one thing that I do wish there was a little bit more of is is more, really more adversarial reporting, and like uh, game outlets be willing to say we don't care if we're going to get blacklisted by this this publisher if we decide to uh, uh, report on the inner workings of what their their strategy is or or their workplace treatment of people and and stuff like that. Because there is some of that, but not a ton of it, and and I would love to see more. Um, I would love to see just a lot of that. But I think the biggest issue is that there isn't a ton of money in in journalism um, especially in games journalism there aren't a ton of resources there aren't a lot of outlets equipped to be able to hire a reporter and pay that reporter a good salary and say to that reporter you don't need to write anything else for the next week you can go chase this story and it's okay even if it doesn't pan out you're fine if you look at like like A movie like Spotlight, for example, which is a great movie about journalism and what it takes, and they talk about the Spotlight team. At the very beginning of the movie, there's like a little bit of skepticism from Marty Baron, the new editor, who's like, wait a minute, so this team just does nothing but spends months on the same story? Um, and they're like, yeah, this is, and an, an Michael Keaton's character is like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it's done. And it turns out Marty Baron is really supportive of that, which is amazing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's the biggest uh, obstacle, I would say, because I think there are a lot of people in media who are out there who are hungry to report, who are really talented and could be doing a lot of this stuff, but there just aren't a lot of systems in place to support that. Um, and that's, that's something I would love to see
1: more of in, in games media when you talk about a little bit more of the adversarial reporting, that's going to always inspire, I guess, uh, very spirited discussions online. And I I know that, uh, you know, like, like any reporter, you're not immune to, to seeing that happen. I, I guess I wanted to ask, like, how do you choose when to engage in discussions with people? And when do you just kind of tune it out? And how do you kind of handle the the feelings that that your work can inspire uh from people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer to that question. Like the answer my answer is really just whatever I feel like doing <laughs> on any given day. <laughs> um like some like every once in a while i'll just feel like responding to someone who's being nasty and so i will most of the time i mean my philosophy is just to block people on twitter and mm-hmm. and like i really enjoy blocking and blocking people on twitter it's it's like taking a fly swatter <laughs> and just like boom 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 zap 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 um and just being like you are out of my life you don't get to be part of my life goodbye see ya and uh yeah i mean Yes, it comes with the territory. I think gaming, obviously, like gaming culture is full of nasty people. We've seen so much of that over the years. Uh, I mean, I was at Kotaku and, and when GamerGate started, and seeing that, seeing some of that stuff firsthand, and what what folks did to some of my friends and colleagues was really horrifying and and really really disturbing to live through. Um, And I just don't, I don't think there's any way to get around that. Like things have not improved. Um, Talk about systemic issues, right? Like mm-hmm. game companies almost implicitly encourage some of this stuff, and I bet a lot of them love it. Like you better believe that Sony and Microsoft are are loving the the legions of fanboys that'll jump to their defense every time someone criticizes, like uh, the latest PlayStation exclusive or like Phil Spencer's uh, bookshelf or whatever people are talking about it on any given day. Um, <laughs> And yeah, there is a ton of toxicity in the video game community. I don't know why that is. Maybe, I don't know if it's. I don't think it's unique to games. Maybe it's heightened by games because a lot of people who play games are just just don't aren't great at interacting with people. Um, not a lot, I should say. I should say a, a, a fraction of, of people who play games might not be great at interacting with people, and that's kind of heightened up by the internet and and Twitter gives everybody access to talk to anybody, which which is both a good and a bad thing. And so yeah, it's it's rough, but like I'm not gonna like being exposed to to vile stuff on the internet is not the worst of what most journal like what a journalist has to go through. Like I'm in a very privileged position. I'm I cover the video game industry. I'm not like on the front lines in war zones or like stuck in India right now, where COVID is 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 exploding or like going to to hospitals. Like I'm 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 covering the video games industry, so it's entertainment. So fundamentally, it's all it's all a, a scale. Here, But yes, people are nasty online and, and it sucks. And I wish it didn't happen, but it's just something we got to we got to deal with.
0: What do you I, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think as far as with the gaming industry and companies and publishers and stuff like that? What is something that you really uh, would like to see change or you think is necessary uh, to change for video games in that industry to continue to progress and and kind of evolve? Um, change
2: in terms of the, what the game companies are doing.
0: Yeah, just just as far as like kind of practices that they are doing now. Cause that's something that we've talked about. Just the the crunch that a lot of uh, people get from that or the fact that, you know, they're getting, I mean, let's talk about cyberpunk for, for instance, they just, uh, their board members just got huge bonuses for a game that, you know, is completely broken, but people are looking at the developers saying, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, look, they wanted to push the game back. They realized it. However, it was these other group of people that said, no, You've got to move forward with this. You know, there's this weird line and, you know, you almost feel bad because it's like the face, you know, these companies are the face of that game. But it's these higher ups that are making these decisions that, you know, are not reflective of what the publisher may have wanted to do.
2: Yeah, that wealth disparity is definitely one of the bigger issues in games, but that's also one of the bigger issues in 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 the US in general and society in general, mm-hmm. so that's 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 one thing. I think I mean so Press Reset is about it's a book about volatility and the volatility in the games industry. And I think really that's the biggest issue that the games industry faces right now. I certainly think it's a bigger problem than like crunch um or some of the other issues I've covered. Uh, maybe not the biggest I don't want to say biggest but it's like one of the big issues and the reason for that is that it's very difficult to maintain a career in gaming when you don't have stability and when you don't when you when you can be laid off or your studio can shut down at any time without warning um, if you're lucky you'll get a couple months of severance but sometimes as we saw with Telltale and 38 and some others you'll just get sent out on the street like goodbye like no severance we're just suddenly shutting down we ran out of money sorry goodbye and that just totally Like destroys people and can really wreck their lives in a lot of ways. So what the book explores, the book explores how that happens, why that happens to people, what they do afterwards, and it also explores potential solutions to these problems. One of them Coincidentally, I mean, uh, I was writing in January, February of last year about what remote work could do for the video game industry, and then suddenly we're all stuck at home for the next year and we can see it all in action. So one of the things, one of my, my kind of theses of this book is volatility in the games industry is a huge problem one of the biggest reasons that it's a huge problem is because the games industry is not centralized it is not all located Mm -hmm. in one place the way that like hollywood is Um, if i lose my job and i'm working at irrational games i just worked on bioshock infinite my studio shuts down i lost my job I'm in Boston, there aren't a lot of other game studios in Boston, like there aren't a lot of options for me for what I do next. So like, it might not be hard if I'm a designer with five years of experience, it might not be too tough for me to go and find a job elsewhere. But I have to move 3000 miles to do it. And so maybe if I'm in my 20s, that's okay. But if I'm I'm in my 30s, I got a couple of kids in school here in Boston, I don't want to leave, I don't want to uproot my life. And so So at that point, you have a couple options, right? You either suck it up and you do it and you pull your kids out of school, disrupt their lives, move to San Francisco for another job, only to risk that maybe you'll get laid off two years later and like you're just caught in this cycle where you're constantly moving. Option two is you quit the industry entirely and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go become a banker because it's way more stable and I don't have to leave Boston and I can actually live a fulfilling life without being in the games industry. And a lot of people choose that option. And brain drain and burnout is like a really big problem in the games industry option three which is something that i explore in the book is the actual solution for this which is allow remote work if i'm in boston and i lose my job but i know that any game company is willing to hire me and i can just stay in boston and work from home That changes everything. And like suddenly I'm in a position where like, hey, maybe I can have a sustainable career in the video game industry. And maybe it isn't the end of the world if I get laid off or my studio shuts down because like, hey, yeah, that kind of sucks, but I can find a new job without having to uproot my entire life just for that job. And so that could really change things. Um, the book Press Reset also explores other solutions like unionization, which is something I think is is inevitable. The remote work thing I think could really, really just make a massive difference, and I'm very, very curious. And I've been like actively looking into what companies are planning on doing after we get out of the pandemic. And I'm I'm very, very, very
1: interested in in seeing what happens next. Yeah, you know this this book is just such. It, it's a patron, right? It, it's one that that in in the best way possible. I almost wished it was longer. It had to have more stories in there. Like you, it's, it's <laughs> one of those books that you you are you're kind Gotta of keep sad. Them leaving wanting more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, bad. no. I think I think that's the mark of a great storyteller, though, right? And you get to the end, you're like, man, I could I could spend way more hours doing that. Is there is there another seed of an idea for a book that you have in mind already? Do you like to to give it a break in between and, and like? focus on on something else for a while? Or do you like to kind of move right into another longer term project like this?
2: Okay, so after my first book, I I, it took me a while to come up with press reset. As I mentioned before, I had Mm -hmm. some false leads, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. It took me a while. After a couple months ago, I got this idea stuck in my head, and then it wouldn't leave my head for a third book. And now it's really burrowed into my head, and now I'm trying to make it happen. Even though, well, actually, let me back up. When I finished writing Press Reset, I was like, "I'm never doing this again. I'm going to write fiction. I want to go make things up." <laughs> but, but no. But more recently, a couple a couple months ago, I was like, I got this idea, and I'm going to be a tease here because I'm not going to say what it is because it's it's still very much like in such early stages that i haven't even signed a contract yet i haven't even gotten some of the key players to participate yet but but if i can make it work then i'm extremely excited about the potential there so um i'll leave that as a as a tbd (laughs) for now
0: and you also too you guys are are developing a podcast uh called triple click Mm -hmm. with uh kirk hamilton and and maddie myers correct Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah triple click it's a lot of fun we've been doing it uh since i left Kotaku, so about a year now because um, kirk and maddie and i the three of us did a podcast called Kotaku split screen and um we were just like uh, when when the things that Kotaku seemed clearly coming to an end for us when when uh our private equity owners killed deadspin and we decided we want out of here we all said so we all the three of us agreed we have a ton of fun podcasting together and so we decided we're going to do something new no matter what um and so we launched Triple Click last April. We've been doing it for about a year now, and it's really a lot of fun. Uh, we love doing it, and yeah, every single week we talk about games and and try to we pick a topic every week and try to make this uh, uh, a show that that people will find interesting. And yeah, I, I'm always psyched about it. It's one of the
1: highlights of my week every week. And you you've been like you said about a year at Bloomberg. How is that? How has this year been for you? And how did how on earth do you like balance doing these longer term books with what I'm sure are your other responsibilities that uh, that are countless uh, that you have at Bloomberg? Um, well, and I'm also a toddler. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, well, so um, so to answer your first question, I've been really enjoying being in Bloomberg. It's very interesting. It's like a lot of new challenges and and writing uh, in uh, in a way that I'm sure you guys are familiar with. You have to write towards uh, a mainstream audience about games, which is which has a lot of interesting obstacles and challenges. Um, it's, it's been really cool. Uh, learning a lot. I'm surrounded by super talented people, which is always really cool. As far as balance, yeah, I mean, what I did with the second book was really with both books I've done so far was I've taken leaves from work for at least a few weeks to just sit and plow and write things out. Um, so what I'll typically do is like spend a lot of time reporting, um, and that I can just kind of fit in through the cracks, like while I'm doing other stuff or like reporting, sometimes reporting calls will be for multiple purposes and stuff like that. And so Eventually, when I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and write this thing um, for Press Reset, I took a couple months off to just write and for my next book, If and When That Happens. I'll probably do the same where it's like reporting is the long haul over time. Maybe uh, sometimes when I go on a reporting trip, I'll be like, I'm going to take a couple weeks off of work to do this reporting trip and like go out to wherever um, and talk to people in person. And and I find a way to make it, I found a way to make it work so far mm-hmm. um, without like really killing myself. There are definitely like there have been nights and weekends when it when it's time to finish the thing, which always sucks, but never for like months on end it's always just like okay i'm going to spend the next couple of weeks just like going into crunch mode finish this thing um which i think is is very different from the games industry where people are often crunching for months at a time but like i i don't mind and it can be exhilarating to be like all right the next couple weeks of my life are just like only finishing this thing and that's the end of it
1: with the evolution of games journalism and and seeing outlets like bloomberg kind of get into that space how do you see what organizations like Bloomberg is doing, um, fitting in with, with the Kotakus and the IGNs of the world? Like, do you think that there's room for those spaces to coexist and thrive separately? Or do you think eventually they start to uh, combine?
2: Yeah, well, so I mean what Bloomberg is doing is not really something new. Like mm-hmm. essentially they just hired me to be a reporter and writing stories and writing features and stuff about this beat that like they had a couple people covering anyway. And uh what I'm doing kind of fit neatly into Bloomberg's coverage anyway. It's not like we started some new vertical or anything like that. I'm very interested and very curious to see what the Washington Post is doing with, with Launcher. And I've been they've been really successful and I've been fascinated to watch them them at work. But you know what I think with media I think that like because the nature of how people read stuff has changed so much over the past few years that like the concept of a, a dedicated site like for anything is kind of obsolete so there are very few people out there who are like going to uh, not very few but like the 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 number of the amount of the audience that is going to the homepage of a website as opposed to discovering news articles on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook or whatever their their favorite aggregator of choice is, I think the proportion of the latter users is much, much higher. And so like the concept of like, okay, this is your your go to, or Google, that's the other large, large driver of traffic. So the concept of like this is your go to gaming site, and you're gonna check IGN 10 times a day for your news is kind of obsolete. Not a lot of people are doing that anymore. Instead, it's okay, I'm gonna go on Twitter, I'm gonna follow IGN, I'm gonna follow Kotaku. I'm gonna follow whoever, and then I'm gonna follow my favorite and I'll catch all the news as it happens. Or I'm not going to check the news because it's all on Reset Era for me, or it's all on our games for me. And sometimes I'll click out to see something interesting, or I'll Google to find tips on this game I'm playing, but I'm not going to IGN every day. I just might happen to stumble upon it if I'm Googling Returnal tips and, and happen to land there. And so the way that we all browse the internet has really changed. And I think as a result of that, it doesn't really matter if you're Washington Post launcher, or if you're IGN, as long as you're getting those eyeballs from Facebook and Twitter and Google and so on and so on. So what's really important today, I think, is breaking news, being first to break news, getting that SEO is as we all know as all people in media have learned to hate mm-hmm. over the years I'm um, <laughs> yeah. like really finding ways to stand out and like get an audience in your own way a lot of personality driven stuff is really popular and and can be really successful but like I think in general the 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 future of media and the, the present of media is very is not very much like we need to have this game site and it needs to be comprehensive doing absolutely everything because people will come to it every single day and check check us 10 times a day for all the latest news. No, it's more that like you need to reach people where they are. And I think that like any website with, uh, with cachet and prestige is equipped to do that. So like if, if, um, if the New York Times decided tomorrow, hey, we're going to start really dumbing down on the video game beat and covering articles on the video game beat, they would be able to do that and find success doing that in the same way they do the rest of their reporting, which is like original stories that get widely read by audiences or breaking news that has to be read by audiences. And I think what Bloomberg has found is that, I mean, that's essentially what they hired me to do is to break news and do original reporting, which brings in people um, inevitably.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. And if you had tips, if, if somebody out there is is looking to try and, and get into games journalism and whatever form or fashion uh, suits their strength the best, what tips would you have?
2: Um, tip number one, get super, super lucky. <laughs> and I wish that I, I, I wish that I wish that there was better advice than that. Like I feel like so much of my career is ascribed to luck, like being in the right place mm-hmm. at the right time. And I mean tip number two, like a very strong second is be super persistent and hardworking and diligent and like commit yourself to something and keep doing and try to be the best at as as you can at that thing. But like, I think that that it can be very easy to be discouraged if you don't acknowledge how much of this comes down to luck and like privilege and like being able to do uh, uh, certain things because you're lucky enough to be able to do them. And I, I think I would just be a, a moron if I didn't acknowledge how much of an effect that has. But yeah, but I mean, uh, the advice that like I got when I was starting out would not even be relevant today. So it's really <laughs> tough to give more specific advice as far as like, oh, go out there and hustle and pitch yourself to whatever whatever, because so much has changed. And like the landscape is so much different that it's, it's hard for me to say the, the one, when people do ask me for advice, I tell them, other than like the basics, which are important, um, like reading a lot and writing a lot and, and just really, really committing yourself and like immersing yourself into whatever you want to do. The one big piece of advice I give people is to specialize and like make yourself known for one specific thing and just get really, really good at that specific thing. Because it can be helpful if you're like freelancing, for example, to be known as the person who editors can go to for x type of review or y type of story or z type of video or whatever else um it could be really useful to do that and i think people find you'll find if you look out there at like the most successful reporters your most successful video makers youtubers or twitch streamers is like they all are specialized in one specific thing and they might branch out beyond that but like they have their bread and butter and that's what they're known for
0: Other than a potential uh, third book, are there Mm -hmm. any other projects or anything that you're working on or looking forward to?
2: um yeah i mean so press reset obviously that's like the thing that is most most on my mind these days and yeah we've been doing some cool stuff on triple click yeah i mean there's something else in the future that i'm like oh man can't wait to get this stuff out the door because because i would have said to you last year press reset is in the future and now we're finally (laughs) getting here like i said it's taken so long like these books take so long to to published that, that I'm just really excited for this thing to come out. And um, yeah, hopefully it does well. Um, if it does well, then hopefully I'll be able to do more books, which I really would like to do. And um, yeah, I hope it resonates with people. I'm I'm really excited about it. And I think that like, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I think it's much better than my first book. And I know people really dug my first book. So if people dig my, dug my first book, they'll, they'll really dig this one, I think. So yeah,
1: press reset May 11th. I'm so excited. It's like so close. Let, let me add in one, one quick question about that. When when you look yeah. back to your first book there, what what are some of those things that you took most into Press Reset and is that something that you like play around with your head that if you were to do a uh, version 2.0, I guess, of your first book, would you change how, how you approach that one? Um, I don't know yet
2: because press said hasn't come out uh-huh. and one of the things that I did that was really helpful with Bloodstone and Pixels is like I read a lot of the criticism and I have a pretty thick skin I think working on the internet for as long as I have you develop an extremely thick skin and so like I read a lot of the criticism and just kind of took out some common themes and some common nuggets and like put together in my head, like, okay, these are the things that I want to do better for the next book. And one of the things is what I mentioned before about about the human stories and like wanting, wanting it to be more focused on people than on games. But there were a couple other things too. One is that I really wanted it. One of my approaches with Blood, Sun, and Pixels was very much to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to zoom out and let, these people tell their stories and not really interject or add my own opinion. I'm just going to do this very fly in the wall style. And the problem with that approach, which I still like the problem with that approach is that with the first book, I think a lot of people's opinions on crunch and um, the, what it takes to make games was seen as like uh, uh it, it was seen it was perceived by some people who read the book as if I were supporting that and endorsing that and that is something that I regret like I, I wish that I had added maybe like had a stronger epilogue where I made it clear that like this is a caution these are cautionary tales these are not mm-hmm. how-to manuals but that's something that I very very strongly took away and so Press said is still written in the same fly on the wall style like I'm not inserting my opinion everywhere but I think it'll be a little bit clearer like where I stand on some things as you as you read the book and and I think I think it has a little bit more of an edge to it than the first book did. The other big thing that I really wanted to do for this book, and I knew this was a problem as I was writing Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, is I wanted to get more women's voices in here. Mm -hmm. Um, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels was very dominated by men, and I think that's for a few reasons, um, some of them not my fault, some of them definitely my fault. And so, uh, for press reset, I was like, "This is not going to happen again." Going to get some women in here and make sure that their stories are told as well. So, yeah, there were a few things that I just like came away. And I think with press reset, I don't think I can answer that until I have some distance from it and until I've read a lot of criticism and feedback and seen what people like and don't like about it, and then kind of move from there and, and and go forward and say, OK, these are the things that I want to learn for next time, because I feel like even if you've been doing something, even if you're really experienced at writing books or writing articles or whatever, there's always just like new stuff you can learn, things you can improve at, things you can get better at. So um, that's always been my philosophy is like to 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 figure out what I can do better and try to incorporate that next time.
0: Absolutely. Again, we're we're excited. It comes out it on us. Lay the details out for Press Reset. When it comes out, where can we get it? All that good stuff. Yeah,
2: so Press Reset comes out May 11th. You can get it at any bookstore. You can get it physically. You can get it digitally online. You can get it in audiobook. Um, the audiobook is read by Ray Chase, a.k.a. Noctis from Final Fantasy 15. Yeah. Just like Bloodstone Pixels, he's returning for this book. Um, so you can get any of those versions. It'll also be out in a bunch of different languages at some point down in the future. Um, and yeah, go go support your indie bookstore if you can. If you got a local... A local store, um, you can go go support them and, and uh, uh, buy the book there, or you can buy the book buy the book wherever you want. Just get the book; um, you'll enjoy it. I think I think uh, people who like games will enjoy and, and want to read this book. Is my my sales pitch?
0: May eleventh, I am excited, absolutely, Jason. Again, thank you so much for taking the time and coming and being on the show and talking with myself and Lucas. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. All right, Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend? I'm guessing more Snap? <laughs>
1: more Pokemon <laughs> Snap. As as the one fan on the show this, this week, I got to continue <laughs> showing my support for that game. <laughs> if, if there are other people out there that are loving the game as much as I am, share. Let me know I'm not alone. Please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Tell yourself, Ryan. You're definitely
0: not alone. It's just a very
2: specific type of game, as we were saying earlier.
0: <laughs> exactly no I'm, I'm saying i'm gonna be on returnal i kind of i have not played a lot of outriders this is a crazy thing guys they did another they did some updates they were trying to do connectivity issues they, they balanced some mods and stuff like that and they ended up doing something that made it so the armor isn't calculating correctly and the damage of enemies was like boosted so people are just getting smacked all over. <laughs> I, I, Dude, I, I, I don't understand what is going on uh, over there as far as that. We're almost a month deep into that game, and there's still connectivity issues. One of my buddies hasn't been able to play since the opening weekend. Um, it, 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 It's sad to see because it's a really, really good game. I'm still enjoying it. I haven't picked it up, though, because they put out that they're putting out an imminent patch. For this uh, uh, damage stuff and whatnot, so I'm just kind of waiting for that to uh, be deployed, and then I'll be hopping back in that, but in my future is Returnal, so lots of dying and, and trying and dying. So <laughs> we'll see. It'll be good. But we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, don't forget, check us out on the tweeters, at Land Parties Pods, at LucasEgon, or at Smitty2447. Again, we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. And you know what it is. We love your faces. <laughs> <laughs>